0: Welcome back. We hope you've been behaving yourself. This is Jackie Noto. And this is Mary Lewis. Welcome to Behave Yourself, a podcast on BA without the BS. Jackie, what is your beverage of the week? From flat soda to frappe, how has it been going?
1: So I am having a busy week. Uh, we have a conference coming up. A lot of people in our field choose to go to this specific conference So there is a lot of other instructors for the same institution I'm a part of who need their classes to be covered. So this week I'm teaching 15 classes, which is a bit. So my beverage for this week is also going to be a bit. So I don't know if I've shared with you before or not, when I go to Starbucks, if I'm having a fun, I want a cold beverage day, I normally would get an espresso frappuccino, extra pump of espresso. And then I would add peppermint syrup. But recently I saw that there's a new drink at Starbucks where it seems like they've just co-opted my idea. (laughs) I know no one who works for big Starbucks listens to this podcast (laughs) yet. But when they do, they'll notice that they've created a drink that is, if there was a beverage drink for my horoscope, my Zodiac sign, my Enneagram, any way that you want to describe a person... This is probably what would come up when you plugged in my information. So it is a chocolate, which who doesn't love chocolate? Chocolate Java mint Frappuccino blended. So it has those little chocolate chips. It's got the mocha, it's got the mint. So it's just got all those components that I look for in coffee. And knowing me, I would probably order it this way. A chocolate Java mint Frappuccino made with soy milk, with an extra pump of espresso. The espresso is what gets me through life. If I'm gonna spend the money at Starbucks, I'm getting a shot of espresso. Thank you very much.
0: You are really putting the entire team on your back, teaching all of those classes. I feel like that that drink is a great way to describe
1: that. Yeah, actually, you know what? I'll probably get it this week to be a little bit of a reinforcer kick for me, maybe Saturday or Sunday. Ooh. What is your Bevergino of the week? <laughs>
0: You don't say,
1: Sus. Really? She said, "Spicy water."
0: They wanna, they wanna share their beverages. Um, my beverageino you know, this week is the Bai. I think that's how you say it. B A I. Antioxidant cocoa fusion. And I would describe this in my week. I'm feeling um, a little emo in like the best way. Like I just, it's been raining a lot where I am. And it's been dark out, which has made um, taking walks during the day a little bit easier. It gets a little bit darker at night. And this type of drink is refreshing. It's um, like light and it tastes great, but it's not super sweet. And it's just kind of like easy breezy, calming, like almost like a little sad. Like sometimes it's fun to be a little sad. And so I've just been doing that this week.
1: Yeah, we have to feel our feelings. If we're feeling sad, you got to let it come through. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations for this week? I do
0: have a recommendation for this week. The main recommendation is switch up your brakes. Or if you think, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying, I've been switching up my brakes and it's been working well. What I mean, oh wait, before I want to talk about this, I would like to say, I would love for this podcast to hold me accountable. I, per Jackie's suggestion, I actually made business cards and I'm bringing them to the conference I'm going to. And also, uh-huh. somebody. I know I'm excited, and somebody that um is really really sweet to me and is a mentor to me. A few years ago, I think when I graduated with my master's or undergrad, they gifted me this business card box. It's like a fancy white, like heavy business card box. I've never been able to use it, so I'm taking them to the conference. And next time we record, I would like to share that I gave my business card to. I'm gonna say like at least like one to three people. I've never done it before, so I'm keeping the expectation low. Um, I also don't know how many like new people I'm going to be interacting with because I have some old friends that I really want to see, but I would love to be able to say that I did that. So I'm sharing it on the pod.
1: Beautiful. I love that. So that LGBT brunch that I went to, I handed out my business cards there and it doesn't have to be some big like formal activity. Mm -hmm. It was just, here's how you can contact me. My yeah. phone number's on it. My email's on it. So even if you just make a new friend, if you don't want to spend the time like whipping out your phone, them whipping out their phone, at least when I ordered my business cards, they came in a stack of 500. Mm-hmm. So it's that quick, that efficiency someone comes up to you after a talk. Here's my business card. Feel free to reach out. I think you'll easily be able to hit one to three.
0: Yeah. And I'm doing, I signed up to do the poster um, review process. So I'm like assigned to be in a location. And I'm talking to people that I probably don't know. So that could also spark a great connection. I wanted to say that. Okay. Back to my wreck of the week, switching up your breaks. So I've been doing a lot more remote work recently. I'm going into the office less and less. That's kind of my situation. So depending on, you know, your life, you have to individualize this for your unique situation. Usually I take breaks during meal times. And that's been awesome. And I really liked that. But since I am doing more remote work and I'm staying in my workspace for longer durations of time without like getting up and going anywhere, I've kind of changed it up. I'm able to eat while I work or like read while I work for work. So instead of taking my break to eat a meal or have a snack, I've been taking I would call it a break break. I don't know what else to call it, where in the middle of the day, so I've like, usually I've just eaten lunch to prevent that little slump. I get up and the weather has been really favorable. I think it's gonna be temporary, but that's okay in the middle of the day, I take my pups on a little walk. It's like a 30 minute walk. I listen to a podcast and uh, 30 minutes for me in terms of like my work hour expectations, taking 30 minutes off is not a huge inconvenience. Like I'm still able to meet my hours. So that is something I had to like, it's a risk I had to think about, but it's totally worth it. And just being able to break up my day that way and a change of pace, Has been really helpful. And once the weather changes and I know that's no longer a feasible option, I'm going to have to come up with a new break or maybe go back to like the mealtime breaks. And so I'm excited to kind of, I'm constantly trying to break out of my like rigidity with the schedules and the rules. And so your break doesn't have to be for mealtime. You can work and eat at the same time if you want. And switching up breaks is totally fine and normal. So that's my rec.
1: I'm glad you're doing what works best for you. Thank you. What is your rec, Jackie? So my recommendation and activity I've been doing this week, you might laugh when you hear it, but coloring. So as a kid, I was not really a big coloring book kind of a child, but as an adult, I found a lot of reinforcement in it to get a more complex or adult themed coloring book and using those thin Crayola markers to outline it. And then the Crayola colored pencils to shade it all in really nicely. And I hadn't had a coloring book for a little bit, but it's nice because it gives you that semblance of control. Within this page, you are in control. You can do whatever you want. You can make it fun. You can make it realistic. But my really good friend sent me a care package and it included a new coloring book. So I took a little bit of time to just engage in that it is an act of self-care, but it was a new activity. And if you're someone where you have a lot going on in your life and you just need a moment to focus on this one thing and doing this one activity, I really suggest trying out coloring as an adult. It's something that it's going to cost you five to 10 bucks to get all the materials that you need to do it across the book, the pencils, crayons, whatever your mode of art is. Um, and it's gonna probably be enjoyable so that's my big recommendation from this week
0: thank you for sharing i love the inner child versus present versus control versus outlet hobby calming experience that that
1: sounds like thank you thank you so mary what topic are we spilling tea on today Today
0: we are going to be talking a little bit more about prepping as a presenter, specifically discussing psychosomatic responses. So what I, what we mean by this is sometimes if you're lucky when you have anxiety or just a strong emotion, you feel those feelings, those are, you know um, covert, responses but then other times in addition to those covert responses you experience physical symptoms that other people can see which is not super great but it happens and we're going to be talking about so those are like bodily responses in response to stress that sometimes can be hard to hide and they can also be hard to mitigate once they're happening so we're going to walk you through um kind of share our own stories and talk about ways to mitigate those psychosomatic responses.
1: So last week we were all about prepping that presentation, getting you up to that stage, to that podium. And today we're gonna be diving into that mitigation. We're gonna not only look at these bodily responses but also mitigating our autoclitic usage and just overall some tips and tricks that have helped us throughout the years when actually engaging in the act of public speaking. And that's true for a lot of people when you are public speaking. And it's something, to be frank, it's something that doesn't go away. The only way that I've been able to mitigate my stress or my bodily responses while public speaking has been to do it again and again and again and again. and again. So when you're public speaking, there are some of these bodily responses that come up that if you're like me, irritate the living crap out of you that your body is responding this way, and you don't understand why. So, some of these would look like having a dry mouth or a cotton mouth, that increasing rate of your heartbeat, increasing rate of speaking, an increased body temperature, shaking or sweaty hands, or a squeaky or wavery voice. Interestingly, all of these bodily responses have two main activities or behaviors that you can engage in that help to de escalate them. So, we're gonna go a little line by line here, but Let's say you're feeling anxious, you have that increased heartbeat rate. First things first, caffeine is not the answer. Don't get your soda, your Red Bull, your coffee. You wanna be drinking some water. So that's tip number one, drink water. Caffeine's a stimulant, it's not gonna help to calm you down. Further, caffeine can be dehydrating which can lead to that dry mouth. So you wanna be drinking that water. Water can also be really helpful for regulating that body temperature. When you're up at the front of the podium, you feel you're starting to get heated. You can feel it in your face for sure. Drink some water. On top of that, I'm someone who at times can speak way too fast. And I like to use water as a tool to slow down my rate of speech. So whenever I'm giving a presentation, when I'm teaching class, I have a beverage in front of me. I typically lean towards uh, bottles of water that have straws so that I don't have to do the full pickup motion. It can be a very low response effort for me to drink that water, and that can help as a break to slow down my rate of speech. So when I'm racing, I take a sip of water. Another really good way to slow yourself down or to pause is our second behavior that helps to de-escalate these bodily responses, and that is breathing. A lot of our body's stress responses can be aided by increasing our supply of oxygen into our system. So when you have something, which this is one of the things that was so mind-blowing to me, it's something that Dr. Nicole Gravina taught me. When you're presenting, you're talking, and you have that wavery in your voice, it kind of sounds like you're about to cry, but you know you're not going to cry, but it sounds like you're going to cry. You are simply not getting enough oxygen. Mm -hmm. So two big hacks here to deal with dry mouth, rapid heart rate, increased rate of speaking, increased body temperature, shaking, sweaty hands, squeaky your wavery voice. So simple. Drink water and remember to breathe. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing those two things, it's going to help to mitigate those bodily responses.
0: And also know yourself. I'll share some of the things I do I'm not recommending people do this I'm sharing this is how this is how I have created rituals around certain things that I do the breathing Jackie's completely right though the breathing and the drinking water combat all of those um, and help mitigate and like bring you back to um, a more comfortable state some things that I do my face will turn red anytime I'm experiencing a um Like heightened emotion like sad mad happy excited like it really it just will happen and it looks like I'm getting a sunburn in real time so I've witnessed so many so many times when I'm presenting, or even just talking to somebody I can tell when my face is getting that red because people's eyes open really big and you they're like really concerned. So, I already know that's gonna happen to me, right? There's not a lot I can do. I found some good makeup products that do kind of conceal how red it is, but it will happen where it does look like I get that that tomato face. Also, I probably will sweat like on my forehead, so just knowing yourself um for me, my stomach will get pretty sensitive, so I don't eat directly before I present. However, even if it's in the morning, I make sure that there's food in the in my stomach. I have a presentation for an upcoming conference, it's at 8 a.m. So I already know myself. I am going to need there to be food in my stomach. So I might have to get up a little earlier, but I'm not the type of person that can eat a banana right before they go. I'm going to have like that unsettling stomach feeling. I'm not recommending anybody take up my eating habits. I'm just sharing
1: what works for me. Nothing's better than a belch in the middle of a presentation. I
0: know, but the main thing for me is the red face and you just have to use the breathing techniques take the sip of water, and also just accept yourself. This is going to happen to me. These people don't know me. It's okay if they judge you or if they look at you weird. You just keep going. It's not a big deal. It's a normal part of life. I've had doctors tell me that it's rosacea. I've had other doctors tell me that it's literally just a stress response. My body's trying to calm myself down, and it's okay. So if you have anything like that that is embarrassing that might happen to you – oh, I also get neck hives sometimes. Those are really cute – just roll with it. It's okay. The breathing and the drinking water helps.
1: Sometimes there's not a lot you can do and just be yourself. And it's not a big deal. I love that. Accepting yourself is so huge. I'll also get redness on my chest when I present. And that sweat thing is so real. Pick the blouse. Oh my gosh. Make sure you choose the correct clothing or the other part. Don't care. Yeah. Don't care. Every single person in that room sweats. Everybody poops, everybody sweats, everybody breathes. You're allowed
0: to do it when you're presenting.
1: Yeah, You're allowed to do those things. And the person who's gonna care the most about it is you. Mm-hmm. No one in the audience is gonna be like, oh my God, look, she sweated through her blouse." <laughs> oh my God, what a travesty that she would bring sweat into this platform. Mm. Oh, everyone does it. it's very normal to the extent that I used to show my students while teaching when talking about public speaking. I would back my chair up and go, look, I'm sweating right now and lift up my armpits. And you see like that nice big sweat mark, but it's, it's the reality. And it's not something that should be disgraced because it's a normal bodily function.
0: Yeah. I think that that's such a vulnerable and honest way to teach that. I love that.
1: However, I do have something that I will disgrace. What is it? Autoplytics. Ah! (laughs) So, autoclinics are verbal behavior on one's own behavior. So, these can look in vocal verbal behavior, things like light. So, anyway, literally, um, uh, it's any sort of extra filler verbiage that's taking place. As someone who's publicly spoke, I know that sometimes autoclitics happen. It's okay if autoclitics happen as part of our natural speaking. However, if you are continually saying um, uh, um, uh, um, uh, unfortunately the effect that it has on your audience is it's going to pull them out of the presentation. They're not going to be able to focus as much on what you are saying. Yeah. Because of those breaks. So something I'd suggest when you're doing your practicing, when you're practicing in front of friends, when you're talking on your own is working to reduce those auto clinics. Mm -hmm.
0: And it's a, it's unfortunate if, especially if you are a subject matter expert, but it's just, you gotta, it's gotta be something that you focus on and it really it's, or should I, I should probably phrase it as it is invaluable to kind of eliminate those auto clinics. I also think Assessing the function can be helpful for specific autoclitics. It doesn't mean that if you don't, like Jackie said, if you have to say, um, a few times, it's not the end of the world, but if you are using it as a way to either let yourself breathe, take a moment to figure out what you're going to say, and you're using it frequently, like, let's say like, you know, over a hundred times, then it's probably going to be pretty distracting. I'll give an example of what I mean. When I say the function, I already know if I'm saying so, it means I don't, I need a transition. That's the replacement behavior. If I say so, I need to find another transition, another transition sentence. If I say literally, hopefully I never say that in a professional presentation, but I'm trying to emphasize something. I know that about myself. So just re- replacing that word or making a sentence that emphasizes what I'm trying to say without saying literally. And the other thing I say is all right which means I need an ending transitional sentence. And I know that about myself. So those are just some examples of ways that I try to reduce the autoclitics that I say. And it will increase if I don't have those type of transition or prep, or like prepping in advance.
1: It's pretty consistent is my point. I have the same problem specifically with those transition sentences. So what I like to do when I'm creating my PowerPoint and I'm practicing it is I make note of where I transition using something like, so, on to methods. And I will actively create that transition sentence ahead of time and put it on the previous slide. So the last sentence in the note section for that slide is that transition and I know I'm good to click. I do have a suggestion if you're interested in reducing your auto It's something that I use with my students and it's to start you small, start you easy. Set a one minute timer and allow yourself to talk about any topic of your choice. Doesn't have to be your presentation, doesn't have to be behavior analysis, any topic of your choosing. If you say, um, uh, like, literally, so, or any of your identified autoclitics, you have to pause that timer and start it over. One minute doesn't seem like a super long period of time, but if you're very used to engaging in those autoclitics, you're going to be doing this activity over and over but it's going to help to identify for you your autoclitic usage which words you often choose and once you're successful increase your confidence that you can speak without using as many or any autoclitics another point here when it comes to speaking I've dealt with uh, different students who have different backgrounds, different countries of origin. And I just really want to hit on this point because it makes me sad when it comes up in real life. When you are presenting, be you. We're not asking that you create this whole extra customer service persona where you have to speak in a certain manner. This is just supposed to be an elevated, more professional version of yourself. So if you have an accent. You still have an accent when you present. You don't need to whitewash your presentation to make it palatable for everyone else. We can understand you. We wanna hear what you have to say. And I don't want you to diminish where you've come from, your achievements, when you are sharing or speaking. It's something that I've seen a couple of times with different friends from different countries of origin where they've changed some of their vocal verbal behavior or they changed their vernacular, how they end words, their tone. And when asked about it, they changed the way they spoke because they felt like people weren't taking them seriously, or they felt like people couldn't understand them. And that's heartbreaking because behavior analysis, our field, public speaking in general, the point is not to be the best professional white version of yourself. It's to be the best version of yourself.
0: Exactly. And if there's any behavior that you're doing or like Jackie's saying a way that you're present you're pronouncing something and it makes you feel more comfortable go ahead and do it if that's oh oh I have one I don't know if this relates exactly but it's common for dressing in conferences to wear pants like even you know as as a girl wearing pants or a blouse I get really uncomfortable in pants and I feel like they um, constrict me like it's like a sensory thing. So I prefer to wear a dress and some people might say that that is not as professional. Some people might advise that you wear instead of the dress um, to make it like less girly, I guess, uh, pants and a blazer or a blouse with a blazer. And for me personally, that is going to make me feel less confident and it's going to make me more anxious. So that's a little thing that I do. So in terms of, you know, your preferences and the way you normally do things, it's totally fine to let some of that show. And I love the way Jackie said it. Like you don't have to put, put you don't have to come up with this customer service persona. If anything, people will be more interested and more excited about what you're presenting if you are being yourself and you're sharing that passion with others, because I think that authenticity is very easy to spot
1: think of Meryl Winston if you've ever seen oh my gosh he is a great example of someone who comes up he presents as himself and everyone loves it he brings the guitar up come on and it's amazing his symposia his presentations his talks always full everyone loves it because Meryl Winston is Meryl Winston he's not giving you a different version of himself on the flip here from Mary I do not like wearing dresses when I present. I used to do, I used to show up in conference dresses or conference skirts and appropriate blazer because I thought that the skirt or dress would be perceived as more professional. Oh so my it's gosh, interesting. That's crazy. Yeah, it's interesting that we have totally flipped uh, mindsets on that. But once I started doing presentations, and once again, I'm someone who walks around when I talk, I liked wearing the pants because one, I feel that it, is more appropriate if you're wearing pants that you, it's more acceptable if you're wearing flats, whereas in a dress or a skirt, I feel like most of the time you lean towards heel. I prefer being in flats. And also I love pockets. I love having my pockets. I could put my hands in my pockets when I'm strutting around. Mm-hmm. And then I also like it because in terms of audience behavior, I don't have to worry about crossing my legs or keeping my legs close together, tucking yeah. them. What was it in princess diaries? Yeah, this is like a woman versus a queen or whatever. Yeah, that whole sitting posture. So I like pants because they make me feel more comfortable and less worried about what my bodily behavior is and just being able to be present with who I am. So we've prepped the talk, we sent the talk off, we've given the talk, we worked on our bodily responses, we worked on our autoclitics. The talk is done and now you're getting feedback from your discussant, maybe the chair, maybe members in the audience. This is a scary time. I try to tell my students a lot that feedback is supposed to be helpful, not scary. So the way that I like to look when people start asking me questions, when they have ideas, is that the individual sharing with me is giving me information because they want me to be the best version of myself that I can be they're trying to help me be better. I want you to keep that in mind that when you're public speaking and questions come in, most of the time, those are not meant to be an attack on you. They're meant to expand your thoughts, see where you can go further with this research, see how you can refine your work. And that helps to calm me down a lot when receiving questions.
0: I think that's a great tip. In terms of Um, how you react or respond when you're discussing gives feedback usually due to the time constraint the discuss so the discussion has pre-prepared what they're going to say most of the time or they've at least um, like had they have something in their head that they're going to say it's not really a conversation and so they deliver what they want to discuss about your presentation and move on if for any reason they provide maybe like critical feedback or maybe they have questions that make it look like your presentation has some gaps or barriers or like you know like if they're kind of confused then it makes your presentation seem like it's confusing or if they just provide you critical feedback which in my opinion I think that should be kept private but you know if they want to do that that's their choice Um, So keeping that neutral face, (laughs) being prepared that if they say something that kind of, um, I've been surprised in the past where I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe you just said that in front of a whole group of people, but okay, keeping the neutral face and being okay. And um, things that I wish I would have done in the past is going up and thanking your discussant and having a very, very quick interaction with them. Even if they do give you negative feedback, I wish I would have done that in the past. But also, it's totally okay, especially if it's never happened to you before and you're emotional. It's okay to just leave you know, when it's over to walk out. Um, also, if you do get that critical feedback, a lot of times – there isn't an opportunity for like people to, for you to answer, for you to reply. So it's okay. Just let it roll off your back. Um, it's never, you know, it's never gonna, hopefully it never is intentional, but it could happen. Um, it's happened to me and don't worry about it. It's okay. It's one person.
1: Yeah, It's one person's opinion. If you need a breakdown of some of the behaviors that I engage in to have a pleasant neutral face. So I'm someone who, typically has what would be referred to as a resting bitch face. And I work very hard to not have that all of the time. So I can break down the specific behaviors that a resting neutral face would include. So if you're in the same category that I am, you got that RBF, welcome to the club.
0: Here's how to make you are, your face. You are welcome here. You are welcomed
1: here. Yes, please. We have the cookies. I suggest this is what works for me you have your regular face, right? Regular, relaxed, et cetera. Raise your eyebrows a little bit. So not like a I'm shocked all the way up, but just a little bit. So if you wear glasses, maybe if they're covered by your glasses, you're gonna raise them just enough that they can be seen right above your glasses. So it's a little more raised. This is gonna make your face appear more open and less furrowed. The second thing I do, I'm not a natural resting smiler with like the teeth and everything. So I just do a little half smile in the corners of my mouth. So raise the eyebrows a little and do that little pinched closed mouth smile. And then when you're looking at them and they're giving the feedback, you could just do those little tiny head nods. And that just looks like you're very receptive and I hear what you have to say and this is this. And you can be having whatever thoughts you want behind the eyebrows, engaging whatever behavior you want, but for everyone looking at you, because when the discussant is talking to you, People are going to be looking at the discussant or looking at you Mm -hmm. and you want to appear that you're calm, you're confident. This is just helpful information. We're going to move onward and upward. So raise your eyebrows a little, little smile in your mouth, little head nods. You're good to go. That was actually really
0: helpful. I was doing that to myself as Jackie, as you were describing it. And I couldn't agree more. That's the best way to do it. It's once you've walked through it, it's not super hard to maintain you know, you're, you're not like holding the smile for too long. I, I love it. I advocate for it. I have done it and had success. And that it is not how well. my
1: natural face is. No. Uh, the mask. When I drop my customer service face,
0: mm-hmm. people
1: are like, oh, is everything fine? And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I just operate in customer service face all of the time. Yeah, Thank like you I'm, for coming to my TED Talk. I'm actually just relaxed and very happy to be here. Thank you so much. I don't feel the need to mask in front of you. So you don't need the customer service face. Exactly. So sometimes... Um... A lot of times you,
0: you're you not going to have to, you know, justify any feedback that the discussion shares, but there are times, especially if the symposia ends early and the discussion's already done, where they will open the floor up to questions. Jackie, do you have any advice when you're being asked a question, maybe somebody asks you something that either you don't understand exactly what they mean, or you don't know how, you don't know the answer, how would you proceed? I
1: love that question. And I think we should do a little bit of role play here.
0: Oh Mary, gosh. I want you to ask
1: me a question on something that I will have no knowledge on. <gasps> oh my gosh. I thought you were going to do the
0: reverse. Okay. <clears throat> um. Okay. Let me think of something. All right. Um. I don't think, watch, watch Jackie know this, but let me try. Jackie, can you give me some behavior analytic research recommendations for discussing compassion fatigue in the workplace and some protective factors to mitigate those?
1: Wow, you know, that is a really good question, Mary. Thank you for asking that. I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head of that literature, but if you want to send me a follow-up email, I can poke around and see what I can find and send that your way. That was so good. The point here is there's nothing wrong with saying you don't know. Because if you don't know, you don't. But we can deliver that in a professional collected way instead of going, uh, I don't know. You have first the lead-in that I like to do is addressing, that was a good question. That gives you a little bit of time to think about what you're gonna say. You can say, I'm not sure right now. I don't know. I'm not familiar with that content. Some inter between there, acknowledging your lack of knowledge in this area. And then the follow-up. But if you'd like to send me an email on this, I'd be more than happy to blah, 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 blah. This is great because it puts the ball back into their court. They have the opportunity to send you an email, ask this question again, see what else I can find on it and send back to you. Maybe I do know the articles and I just don't know the author's last names and the year on the top of my head. But I'd be happy to send them to you. Or the third option of... It's a really great question. I'm not 100% sure as that isn't really in my scope, but if you email me, I can connect you with some colleagues who might be more familiar with that literature. So once again, you're putting it on them to reach out to you again, which one is good for fostering a connection, two gives an actionable next step instead of just leaving the, I don't know, at that. You're giving them some way to find out more about it and also giving yourself more time if it is a resource you have that you just can't recall, if it is someone you know who does that work instead of you, to go ahead and send that off instead.
0: Not only for not knowing the answer to a question, but if you are in a time crunch, if maybe you are trying to go to a to another um, symposium, or maybe you're just really hungry or tired, you want to take a nap. You have you have time. You gotta go. You're a busybody,
1: and you are clocked out.
0: <laughs> you are clocked. I'm booked and busy. Um, and somebody's asking you a pretty lengthy question. I had this happen where I finished presenting and I wanted to run off to watch my friend's presentation that had just started and somebody came up to me and they were so incredibly nice and they were like, thank you for sharing about burnout research. I'm an RBT. I just started and I'm um, experiencing, I think, I think I'm experiencing a little bit of burnout. Like, can you just give me some advice and can you help me? And I wanted to give them the full spiel. And so instead, and I knew I didn't have time. And so instead I was like, yes, yes. I have resources. I would be happy to share them with you. Can you give me your email? And they were like, yeah, and they wrote their email down. I said, "Awesome. I will be emailing you in the next few days or like after the conference." You know, you don't need to email them immediately. It's just like after the conference. I emailed them, they replied, and they were like, "Thanks so much. That was super helpful." And that just kind of eliminates, you know, the stress and the pressure of having to have this like 20 minute conversation. It also, I like what you said, puts the ball in their court. Whereas like he had the option to just not reply or like he could ask follow-up. just kind of depends on what they prefer to do. So I think that's another good option.
1: The point here is it's okay not to know. And even if you do know, it's okay not to be entirely prepared for every single question that someone's gonna ask.
0: If anything, it shows that You are an expert if you can't directly answer their question, but you have resources and info or, you know, somebody that can, do you know what I'm saying? Like that kind of demonstrates that you are, you're really, you're not just answering the question again with the ego to give them an answer. You're, you're thinking back and you're like, actually, I don't, I don't really know that specifically, but I know someone who would know. And then giving them that info. And it's
1: a good sign of being authentic. I wouldn't want someone to try to off-the-cuff answer a question for me with what they thought the answer was if they weren't confident in it. I'd much rather have someone say that they don't know it, they haven't thought about it, et cetera.
0: Jackie, do we have any other points that we want to talk about before we wrap it wrap
1: up? I think that's it for me today. How about yourself? I think that's it. Yeah some entrance presentation tips, setting you up for success. So with that content covered, Mary, how are you staying hydrated this week?
0: I, I am high. I am very hydrated. I am hydrating myself by, um, watching, I need to look up the actual title, but it's the new Bridgerton season that is focused on Charlotte. Um, it obviously deserves all the respect in the world. So I need to
1: look up the title. I have some tea to share with you. Oh my gosh. I can't for breaking weight. I've never seen Bridgerton.
0: Okay. Well, that needs to be addressed at a later time.
1: Is that going to be my no self-care activity? My new rec is Jackie needs to watch Bridgerton and I'll give you an update next week on how I think it's going.
0: Um, that would mean more to me than a lot of things. Yes, that okay. would be much appreciated. Um, it's called Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story. And I've seen the previous seasons. So I kind of know the vibe and Jackie will be seeing them as well in the near future and giving us an update on her thoughts because it's incredible. But I allowed myself to binge watch the series in the sense I watched it in two days. The first day it was the evening. I wa- There's only six episodes, but they're like an hour. I watched it as if it were a movie type where at night I watched, I think like two and a half episodes the next day, I really wanted to finish it. And I was kind of feeling in my feelings. It was on my period. I wanted to just, you know, have a good cry and this is the perfect show to do that. (laughs) So what I did, and I, it really did make me feel hydrated is yes, I did binge watch the last like three or four episodes. But during that time I put on my headphones that connect to the TV, which is an awesome feature. I didn't know that existed put on my headphones. And during that whole time, I ate my dinner. Well, I cooked the dinner. Well, I think James cooked. I don't think any of us. Cooked. I can't remember. I ate the dinner. I meal prepped for the next day. I cleaned the dishes, which I hate doing. So it made it so much better. I cuddled my dogs. I gave myself time to just lay on the couch. And by the time I did all those things, the show was over. I was like hyperventilating, sobbing in the best way. And I finished it. And it was, it just filled me right up to the tippy tippy top. <laughs>
1: I love that. Releasing those toxins and engaging in those behaviors that are going to signal to your body that the stressor is no longer present. That's awesome.
0: Closing that stress cycle.
1: What about you, Jackie? So I have a couple of updates for our friends listening. Mm. I am in fact currently wearing my blue light glasses. They look stunning, by the way. So first things first, I am actively engaging in the behavior that I told you all I was going to try to do. We love the uh, follow through. I've learned that I don't like wearing them when teaching because I feel that that lack of ability to directly see my eyes removes some personalization. Oh. But I am trying to wear them for other computer-based activities. So that's point 1 in hydration. Okay. Point 2, I did go to a game night last week, met some new friends. That was fun. And I have a book club tonight that I'm going to be going to. We have not chosen the book yet, so okay, that's I'm what not I, sure. That's what I was going to ask. I knew it was coming, <laughs> but the reason why I'm making a point to go to this first meeting is the runner of it was like, yeah, the first meeting is when we're going to be choosing what book we're going to do. Oh, girl. I gotta be there. My input needs to be present. I like to read self-help books and true crime. Those are my main two categories here or any sort of uh, historical fiction. Mm. So I like when it's a fake story, but all the information they're pulling in is historically accurate.
0: Do you know what is exactly like that?
1: Are you going to say Bridgerton? (laughs) Bridgerton! Okay, I'll give it a watch. I'll give it a watch. I promise you. Yay. But yeah, so I'm going to try to get my input in for what our book choice is going to be and then hopefully have a ongoing club that I can go to with some uh, late 20s, early 30s ladies. That sounds very exciting. It is. I'm looking forward to it. And with those hydrations covered, that's going to go ahead and wrap up this week's episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in.
0: Remember to make waves, collect data, and as always, behave yourself.